Chapter Twenty of Idiala. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Idiala by Sarah Grand. Chapter Twenty. The people seemed to have deserted the house. Even the tawdry one had disappeared and Idiala was obliged to lay out the poor dear girl herself, and make her ready for decent burial. As soon as she could leave the place she went, escorted by the policeman, to the fever hospital to have her things fumigated. The risk of infection had not troubled her till she remembered the likelihood of taking it to others, but as soon as she thought of that, she took the necessary precautions to prevent it. She sent a message from the hospital to her maid, telling her to pack up some things and meet her at the station in time for the mail at eleven o'clock that night. She had thought of some friends who lived a nine-hours' journey from her home, and had determined to go to them for a time. She wrote to her husband, also from the hospital. The girl, Mary Morris, died of scarlet fever this afternoon, in the house to which you sent her when you were tired of her, she said. I was with her when she died. I am going to the Trelawneys tonight, but at present I have formed no plans for the future. During the first few days of her stay with the Trelawneys, she just lived from hour to hour, not thinking of anything, past, present, or to come. But out of this apathy, a desire grew by degrees. She wanted to see Lorimer. She could speak to him, and she was sure he would help and advise her. She wrote to him, telling him she particularly wished to see him on a certain day, and asking him to meet her at the station, adding by way of postscript, I do not think I quite know what you meant when you advised me to go my own way, but if any wrongdoing were part of the program, I should not be able to carry it out. However, I feel sure that you would be the last person in the world to let me do wrong, even if I were inclined to. She knew that her husband was away from home, and her intention had been to sleep there that night, and go on to Lorimer the next morning. But she had been misinformed about the trains, and after many changes and tedious waits, she found herself alone in the middle of the night, at a little railway junction with no chance of a train to take her on for several hours, and what was worse, without money enough in her purse to pay her bill if she went to an hotel. The waiting rooms were all closed for the night, and there seemed nothing for it but to wander about the station till the train came and released her. She told her dilemma to an old Scotch inspector, who was waiting to see what she meant to do. He gave the matter his best consideration, but it evidently perplexed him. "'If you was a box,' he said, rubbing his chin thoughtfully, "'we could put you in the left luggage office.' "'But I am not a box,' Idiala answered, as if only the most positive denial would prevent mistake on the subject. It was raining hard and bitterly cold. Only part of the platform was roofed in and every now and then a gust of wind splashed the raindrops into their faces as they stood beside Idiala's luggage in a circle of yellow light 
cast upwards by a lantern which the inspector had put on the ground at their feet. "'There's me and Tom, the porter,' he said at last. "'We've got to wait for two o'clock down and four o'clock up. "'Tom, he'll come home and sit over the kitchen fire with me. "'I suppose now you wouldn't like to do that?' "'Indeed, I should be very glad to,' Iriala answered. "'That is,' she added quickly, "'if it would not inconvenience you.' "'He made an inexplicable gesture "'and seemed to consider the matter settled.' "'I'll just put this here luggage in the office,' he said, shouldering a box and taking up a portmanteau. But he muttered as he went, "'It's a pity now he wasn't luggage.' Idiala followed him meekly from the luggage office, out into the lane, and down a country path to a little cottage. The door opened into the kitchen, and a young man in a porter's uniform was sitting over a cheery fire, reading a newspaper by the light of a tallow candle. The kitchen was large for the size of the house. Besides the door they had entered by, there were two others, both closed. The walls were paneled from floor to ceiling with wood darkened by age. Several of the panels were doors of cupboards that projected slightly from the wall, and shelves had been sunk in flush with it and placed angle-wise in the corners. The shelves were covered with old china. There was a row of brass candlesticks of good design on the high mantelpiece, and more china stood behind them. On a panel above the mantelpiece, a curious design of dogs and horses, in a wood that had been carved with much patience and some skill. The furniture of the place was an old oak table standing in the window. The window itself had a deep sill, on which was arranged a row of flower pots from which a faint perfume came at intervals. A long, narrow oak chest, carved and polished with the date, 1700 on the side of it, a settle, and a dresser covered with the ordinary crockery used by poor people. The brick floor was rutted and sanded. The hearthstone was yellow, and the part under the grate was white. One high-backed, old-fashioned chair stood on each side of the hearth. Tom the porter was sitting in one of them, and at his elbow was a small round table with a pipe, tobacco jar, and two or three books upon it. A square table in the middle of the room was laid out for supper, with a dish, two plates, a beer mug, and half a loaf of bread. Some potatoes were roasting on the hob. "'The old woman's asleep, I expect.' "'You'll mind and not make a noise,' the inspector said to Idiala, as if he were warning a child to be good. Tom the porter rose and gazed at the lady with his mouth open in a state of astonishment that was justified by the time and place of her advent. But he offered her his chair with the courtesy of a gentleman, and the old inspector bade her make herself at home, which she did by removing her hat and wraps and taking off her gloves. In a higher sphere of life, those two men would have stared her out of countenance. But Tom the porter and the old inspector, not from want of appreciation, but from the refinement that seems natural to people who come of an old stock, whatever their station, and have had china and carved oak in their possession from one generation to another, forbore even to look at her lest she should be embarrassed by their curiosity. 
they did the honours of the house with dignity, and without vulgar apology for a state of things that was natural to them. And Idiala at once adapted herself to the circumstances, and burnt her fingers while attending to the baked potatoes, which Tom had somewhat neglected. She always declared afterward that there was nothing so good in the world as baked potatoes and salt, provided the company was agreeable. And now and then she would thrill us with reminiscences of that evening's entertainment, with wonderful accounts of railway accidents, and of one in particular that happened on a pitch-dark night when fires had to be made to light the workers as they toiled fearfully amongst the wreck of the trains, searching for the mangled and mutilated, the dying and the dead, while the air was filled with horrid shrieks and groans. For it seems these three, when they had finished the baked potatoes, drew their chairs to the fire and talked. And one can well imagine what Idiala's stories were. Her tales of the Japanese with whom she had lived, of Chinese prisons into which she had peeped, of earthquakes, tornadoes and shipwrecks, and other perils by land and sea all told in a voice that thrilled you, whatever it said. Tom the porter and the old Scotch inspector were in luck that night, and they knew it. When at last it was time for Idiala to go, and in return for her thanks for his kind hospitality, and the contents of her purse, which had rather more in it than she had fancied, the inspector expressed his appreciation with an earnest smack. Well, he said, you're rare good company. I shan't mind when you come along this way again. The train was late in arriving, and she had only time to rush up to the house, change her dress, and return to the station to catch the one by which she had asked Lorimer to meet her. Perhaps it was the thought of what she had come to tell him that made her heart beat nervously as the train drew up at her destination and she leant forward to look for him among the people on the platform. She looked in vain. He was not there. Something, of course, had happened to detain him. Doubtless the, he had sent a message to explain. She waited a little, but nobody appeared to be looking for her. Then she left the station and walked in the direction of the hospital, thinking he had missed the train, and she should probably meet him on the way. Her nervousness increased as she went. She was not used to being alone in crowded streets, and she began to feel faint and bewildered. Her heart seemed to stop whenever she saw a fair-headed man. But she reached the hospital at last, and no Lorimer had met her. Then a new fear disturbed her. Perhaps he was ill. She went up to the door, and there, just coming out, Lorimer's secretary met her. "'I was just coming to meet you, madam,' he said. "'I am sorry I am too late. "'Mr. Lorimer has been detained by visitors "'and sent me to apologize for his absence. "'If you will be so good as to come to the library, "'he will join you there as soon as he is disengaged.' "'When she was settled in the library, "'a servant brought her books to her. "'She had not come to read.' but work was the daily habit of her life, and she went on now, mechanically, but careful as usual, though with a curious sinking of the heart, and benumbing sense of loss and pain. 
as she came along in the train she had been thinking how it would amuse lorimer to hear of her night's adventure and of the relief it would be to tell him of all the other things she had come to tell but now she felt like one bidden to a bridal and brought to a burial people were going and coming continually in the library a gentleman sat at a table near her busily writing servants went backwards and forwards with books another gentleman came in and looked at her curiously and then went away she began to feel uncomfortable and wondered what was keeping lorimer so long she thought too of leaving the place at once and going back by an earlier train than she had intended but it would hardly have been polite a servant came and told her the library was closing to visitors at two i am waiting for mr lorimer she said oh in that case and the man withdrew the name was an open sesame to all parts of the building at last he came she rose with a great sense of relief let me take your books he said i have done with them she answered and without another word he led the way to his own room they took their accustomed seats i am sorry i could not meet you he said i hope you do not think me rude some wretched people turned up at the last moment and wanted to see everything just look at the room every cabinet seemed to have been ransacked and treasures of all kinds were lying about in most admired disorder lorimer looked round him desperately and pushed his hat back from his forehead idiolus smiled it was so like him to forget he had it on outside a heavy thundercloud gathered and darkened the room presently big drops of rain splashed against the window and it began to lighten long claps of thunder rolled and muttered incessantly away in the distance and every now and then one would burst directly above them as it seemed with splendid effect lorimer looked up at the window straight before him and played with a pen and idiala half turning her back to him sat silent also watching the storm there were some high houses opposite of which only the upper stories were visible two children were playing in a dangerous position at an open window in one of them above the houses a strip of sky heavy and dark and changeful was all that showed idiala felt cold and faint the long fast and fatigue were beginning to tell upon her she was nervous too the silence was oppressive but she could not break it she felt some inexplicable change in her relations with lorimer which made it impossible to speak furtively she watched him trying to discover if he felt it too the look of age was on his face and it was clouded with discontent anxiously she sought some sign of sickness to account for it but no there was no trace of physical suffering the trouble was mental you are not looking well lorimer said at last i suppose you have been starving yourself since i saw you you have had no lunch today again you will kill yourself if you go on like that i was speaking about you to a doctor the other day 
He said you could not fast as you do without taking something. Stimulants or sedatives. Idiala winced. What an insulting thing to say, she exclaimed indignantly. I will not allow you to adopt that tone with me. You have no right to scold me. I have and shall, he retorted. I suppose you want to kill yourself. Perhaps it is the best thing people can do who hate their lives. I don't hate my life. I don't want to die, she rejoined. The other day you said you loathed your life. You are accusing me of inconsistency, she said. You, who are in two states of mind every time I see you. She got up. And I do mean what I say, she resumed. I loathe the old life, but that is done with. I am living a new life now. He turned to look at her, red chasing white from his face at every breath. Then, yielding to an irresistible impulse, he went to her, grasped her folded hands in both of his, and looked into her eyes for one burning moment. The hot blood flamed to her face. She was startled. Don't let us quarrel, he said hoarsely. Why do you try to, she retorted. It is always you who begin. I think you want pluck, he said. Oh no, not that, she answered. Just now you do. Then I think you want discernment, she retorted with spirit. And so they went on, as if neither of them had ever heard of such a thing as conventional propriety. Lorimer did not answer that last remark. He was standing at a little distance from her, watching her. Idiala was looking grave. "'What is your conscience troubling you about now?' he asked. "'I never listen to my conscience.' "'I don't believe you,' she answered promptly. "'That is polite,' he observed. "'Then there was another pause. "'It must be time for me to go,' she said at last. "'The rain was still falling in torrents. "'Oh, no,' he exclaimed. "'You mustn't go yet. "'Your train does not leave for another hour. "'Why do you want to go?' "'She was struggling with the button of a glove, "'and he went to help her, "'but she repulsed him, half unconsciously.' as she would have brushed off a troublesome fly. The gesture irritated him. I cannot believe you are not conscientious, she said, with a frown of intentness. When a man of talent ceases to be true, he loses half his power. He turned from her coldly, sat down at the writing table, and began to write. Idiala was still putting on her gloves. Outside, the rain fell lightly now, and the clouds were clearing. The children were still playing at the open window of the house opposite. Lorimer had often been obliged to answer notes when she was there. She thought nothing of that. But he was a long time, and at last she interrupted him. "'Forgive me if I disturb you,' she said, "'but I am afraid I shall miss my train.' Oh, pardon me, he answered, jumping up and looking at his watch. But it is not nearly time yet. I cannot understand why you are in such a hurry today. 
"'Yet you know that I always go when I have done my work,' she said. "'You have done unusually early, then,' he replied. "'And I wish to goodness I had.' He looked round the room pettishly, like a schoolboy out of temper. "'I shall have to put all these things away when you're gone. A task I hate. But nobody can do it but myself.' "'Why wait till I've gone? Let me help you,' said Idiala. His countenance cleared, and they set to work merrily, he explaining the curious histories of coins and cameos, of ancient gems, ornaments of gold and silver, and valuable intaglios, as they returned to them to their places. Both forgot everything in the interest of the collection, so that, when the last tray was completed, they were surprised to find that two trains had gone while they were busy, and another had become due, and there was only time to jump into a hansom to catch it. Lorimer was still irritable. Why on earth does a lady always carry her purse in her hand, he said, as they drove along. Iriala laughed and put hers in her pocket. When are you coming to go on with your work, he asked. I will write and fix a day, she said. I shall be away a good deal for the next three weeks, he continued. The 23rd or 26th would be the most convenient days for me, if they would suit you. Thank you, she answered, and hurried down the platform, without having said a word or given a thought to what she had come to say. And then at last the 24 hours fasting, fatigue, and mental suffering overcame her. A little later she was lying insensible on the floor of her room, and she was alone. The servants had not seen her enter, and there was not a creature near her to help her. End of chapter 20